0: And let's pray. Father, show us what we need to learn from this scripture this morning. Make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about the trap of misplaced confidence there are stories and there are ideas that we live by that give us a sense of who we are, that build our confidence in who we are, that help us to make sense of the world, what is good and important, and how to be one of the good people, one of the good guys. For example, um, some stories and ideas that perhaps Australians live by. We like to say to ourselves, we're a friendly, down-to-earth, no-nonsense people. We're hard-working, hard-drinking heart of gold, stand by your mates kind of people. We're not pompous like the Poms, we're not crazy like the Yanks, we're the Anzacs. We're about mateship and sacrifice, we're for a fair go, a welcome for the immigrant. We're not very reverent, we're not over pious, but we're all right. And you know, God would be a mongrel not to let us into heaven. Now, in Romans 1-3, to which we're working through, Paul is hammering home one message. Romans 3, 10-12, this is where we're heading to, that there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. From the point of view of God's judgment, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of of sin. Now, this is not a message that anyone really wants to hear. That we aren't actually you know, big-hearted, generous, wouldn't hurt a fly, do anything for you, rocks of integrity and springs of goodness. Rather than listen to this rather pointed condemnation, we'd rather find reasons to reassure ourselves that we are okay. That God does accept us. Now, Paul is utterly convinced that we can be OK, that we can be right with God, that can, we can come out from under the power of sin. But before he says how that is the case, he wants to dismantle a few wrong ideas about how we can escape God's displeasure. And in Romans 12:17 to 3, 4, the epistle which you have and you can open in front of you, In that passage, Paul seeks to dismantle some wrong ideas that he knew from his own scene, his own people, the Jews. He warns his own people not to be caught in a self-serving ideology, but to remember that God's judgment repays us for what we have done, not what we know or what ritual we might undergo. And so today, firstly, I want to look at the ideas that first century Jews might rely on and which Paul wants to remove as things to rely on. And then secondly, I want to reflect on the ideas we might rely on, that we oughtn't to. So that's where we're going. Firstly, first century Jews might rely on circumcision and the law for their confidence before God. Now, if you read your Bibles, back in Genesis 17, God said to Abram, This is my covenant, my deal with you and with your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so the Jews were diligent in circumcising their male children and still are today. Generations later at Mount Sinai, Moses received the law of God which was headlined with the Ten Commandments, but contained all that followed. And in Exodus 24.3, after outlining in quite a bit of detail a whole lot of legal material, we read, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Then Moses wrote down everything the Lord said. Now in Romans 2, 17-34, Paul attacks a Jewish attitude from his own day which put confidence in circumcision and in knowing the Lord's words and laws but forgot the bit about everything the Lord has has said we will do. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Paul has a go at some fellow Jews who thought that knowing and teaching others the law was a reason for confidence before God. Let's read what he says. Verse 17 of Romans 2. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, because you are convinced by the because you are instructed by the law. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? The point of knowing, and of teaching the law, is so that it will be obeyed by both student and teacher. And so Paul says, You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? Now, Paul is not accusing all his fellow Jews of being thieves, adulterers and handlers of defiling idols. But he does, I think, wish... That his Jewish compatriots, who might rely on circumcision and the law, might reflect on their own history as a people. And not least upon the disasters that came upon the Jews because of their unfaithfulness to God. The story of the Old Testament is full of rebuke and calling back of God, of the ancient Israelites, to the law that they were supposed to live by and not just spout. And so even our our Old Testament reading is full of this. Isaiah 1, let me just take verses 14 to 17 from our Old Testament reading, where God says to the Israelites, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Here is a message for people who had the law but did not prove able to keep the law. Paul also argues that circumcision is no substitute for keeping the law circumcision he says in verse 25 has value if you observe the law but if you break the law you've become as though you had not been circumcised this is because the outward sign is not the substance of being in covenant with god being in a relationship of mutual belonging mutual loyalty Verse 28 A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. The Jews always knew that being a Jew, properly being a Jew, was something inward and of the heart. And so we can go, uh, Paul is, is not saying anything new or radical here. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, most truly. Moses has, had exhorted the, the Israelites back in Deuteronomy 10:16, "Circumcise your hearts, and do not be stiff-necked any longer." And Moses had said that when God one day in the future, would send his people away and then bring them back, Moses said, "The Lord your God, the Lord your God, will circumcise your hearts." So that you may love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. this was always the call of the law of Moses. And so Paul just underlines what the Jews always knew: that hearts are circumcised, not merely the outward flesh. And not circumcised well circumcised by the spirits, not by the written code, it wasn't enough to know the law need to be changed by the spirit to obey the law now there is value and privilege in being jewish says paul verse 1 of chapter 3 what advantage then is there in being a jew what value is there in circumcision much in every way first of all the jews have been entrusted with the very words of god he doesn't go on to list second third fourth he just gives you the first one but but having the promises of god the words of god the oracles of god the laws of god this is not nothing this is a great blessing it's just that having that does not exempt you from judgment on the basis of what you've done just like everybody else so an ideology had taken root among the jews we have the law we have circumcision We know the law, we teach the law, we practise circumcision, so we are okay with God. Our righteousness is secure on that basis. Paul wants to say, no, that ideology is a trap. Keeping the law is what counts in the covenant of the law, not knowing the law. Circumcision is of the heart in its true reality, not outward observance. So, Paul is taking away things in which people might put misplaced confidence. Let's turn now to us and think about the false ideas that we might rely on. For false ideas can abound just as abundantly in Christian circles, let me suggest, as in first century Jewish circles. We might rely upon the sacraments. We might say, as long as I'm baptised, I'll be right that'll do for me or if i take the lord's supper that will keep me in good with god we might rely on our knowledge i know my bible i can explain it to others i can tell them the gospel my theology is polished up and shiny or we might rely on our just our mere christian belonging our association i hang with the church people they accept me i belong i i do what they do so we might say to ourselves the sacraments these ceremonies the knowledge i have the association i have surely these things will count for me before god surely i've invested something in Counting righteous. Paul might say to us, a person is not a Christian who is only one outwardly, nor is baptism merely outward and physical. Or Paul might say, theology has value if you do the will of God, but if you disobey God, you have become as though you had not known any theology Or he might say, the one who does not go to church and yet does the will of God will condemn you who, even though you go to church, disobey God. Now, we can have confidence before God. We can have the assurance that we belong to him. But we must derive that confidence from the right place. Paul here in the beginning of Romans is busy pointing out various wrong places to put your confidence to rely upon. Your own deeds cannot be the source of your assurance of God's acceptance, says Paul, because we all sin. You want to stand up at the judgment of God upon deeds and hope that all will be well? Paul says, don't do that. It won't be well if that's what you rely on, your deeds. For the Jews, their possession of the law and practice of circumcision cannot be for them the source of their confidence about their acceptance before God because the very law that they know and teach requires an obedience that they have not supplied. Now, we're not there yet, but Paul is driving beyond Dismantling false ideas and misplaced confidence towards the true source of our confidence before God. The true source is, of course, Jesus Christ. If we skip ahead, just at the end of this sermon, because I don't want to leave you at this point with just this, if we skip ahead to Romans 3:23, Paul says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. all." have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We can have confidence before God because of the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This redemption, what's a redemption? It's a buyout, a buyback, a retrieval. You redeem slaves out of slavery. You redeem hostages out of captivity. This is is what Christianity is about. It's not about following rules. It's about being bought out of slavery. It's not about relying on my religious observance. It's about relying on the one who has Bought me out of slavery. It was done all for me that I could not do for myself. Of ourselves we fall short and go under. Of ourselves we are helpless in sin before God's judgment. But our redemption, our rescue, our hope and the source of our assurance, our confidence before God is Jesus Christ. We don't trust in ourselves, in our deeds of virtue, some misplaced confidence in human goodness... We don't trust in what we know about God and his will or what we do in participating in religious signs and sacraments. We don't have a misplaced confidence in religious observance. We trust in Jesus Christ, in the redemption, the buyback, the rescue and retrieval that he worked for us in his death and resurrection. Because he lives, he sends his spirit upon us And as part of the redemption that he brings, he opens and changes our hearts. In the language of our passage, he circumcises our hearts by his spirit. This is not a mistaken ideology, a misplaced confidence. This is a gracious reality from God. This is his gift to us. Let's pray. Father, help us to see and understand what we read here in the Scriptures about where we can place our confidence and where we can't place our confidence. Help us, Lord, not to seek to place our confidence in ourselves, in our deeds, in our virtue, or even in the signs that you have given us, the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper, the truth you've taught us, the theology of the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to see where we must place our confidence in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And Lord, we pray that he would circumcise our hearts so that our confidence can be in him and our lives can be changed in only the way that it can come through knowing him.